Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the California Native Plant Society. California is a biodiversity hotspot on our planet, and CNPS is working to support the communities of plants and related beings and conditions that make it so. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Areti Athanasopoulos is a Denver-based landscape architect and urban planner. After many seasons studying and working around the world and in collaboration with the International Rescue Committee's New Roots Program, and while in Denver with Denver Urban Gardens, Areti has recently founded her own nonprofit entity focused on gardens for and by refugees. She joins us today from Denver to share more. Welcome, Arati. I am so pleased to be speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here speaking with you today, too. Describe for us, if you will, your current relationship with plants and the kind of organizing principle for what gets you out of bed every morning to do this kind of work in this world. I've thought about this, and I really believe that gardens are our future. They're integral to our survival. And then when I get up in the morning and I think about my nephews and my new two-month-old niece, I really think that we have to garden. It's it's part of our future. It's certainly uh, part of our past. And as you and I know, it is part of our present. And I think our future absolutely uh, is in need of it. And uh, will benefit from our continued and deepening understanding of what gardens are and who gardeners are and what they bring to the world in all of their iterations. Um, and that brings me um, to you. Tell us a little bit about your earliest influences in life, where you were born and raised and who were the people and places and plants that grew you into a person for whom as a young professional woman, you would actually utter a sentence that included garden and necessity together. <laughs> well, um, I was born in Colorado. Both of my parents are immigrants. Um, my mother immigrated from Ireland, from Northern Ireland, and my father from Greece. And so um, my earliest memories are actually of my Greek grandmother gardening. <laughs> she would grow. Um, beans and corn in our front yard. And I just remember my yaya dressed head to toe in black, just this small little woman, five feet tall, growing beans <laughs> and corn in the front yard and the neighbors wondering what, what is she doing? <laughs> but um, food was integral to my life. I mean, my father had restaurants, both my parents worked in restaurants and um, ran restaurants for 45 years. So I started working in restaurants from the time I was 11. So I definitely know how important food is and, and growing food was always a part of my life. Um, and I also visited both Ireland and Greece as a child. So I remember being you know, at my granny's house in Ireland and seeing the roses there from, my mom's from Northern Ireland, from County Fermanagh, the Lakeland, and uh, all my Irish family, uh, they have farms, so they raise cattle and, you know, milk the cows. And I remember growing up hearing stories of my mom growing up on the farm 
and my granny making bread every day for her 10 children. Wow. So I just come from a line of very strong women. And I just remember so vividly hearing these stories of both Ireland and Greece growing up. Yeah. And where in Greece was your father's family from? And clearly his mother came with him. Did did others of his family uh, make the, the trip with him to the U.S.? Uh, my dad is from central Greece, uh, close to Lamia. So he's from a village called Gura in central Greece. Um, my dad immigrated by himself, but then when we were born, my grandparents came and they would stay with us for, you know, six months at a time and helped raise us while my parents were both working in the restaurants, the classic immigrant story, yeah. you know, working day and night to raise their families. But, um, yeah, I mean, my dad's village, I was fortunate to be able to visit it as a child and it's, you know, glorious. It's up in the mountains. It's very similar to Colorado, um, you know, mountains are up to 11,000 feet and they've got the evergreen trees, but, you know, it's also very verdant. They have a lot of natural springs and um, they have a lot of different trees that grow there. There's walnut trees and uh, apple trees. And I just remember also my dad would tell us stories about when he was a child too, um, especially after the war. My dad was born in 1940, so he experienced the Greek civil war after World War II. So it was after all of that conflict that they started to see, you know, some prosperity and abundance in their village. And they grew all sorts of things, plums and cherries and apples and tomatoes, and beans. So I just would hear him talk about how it was paradise. He would always <laughs> say that it was paradise. <laughs> and wow. And so they, they both immigrated to to Denver or mm -hmm. or Colorado the Denver area for both of them oh yes both my parents came to Denver mm -hmm. and uh they they meet there and they start their family and there's this very direct land-based experience in both of their childhoods different right but also very similar in in some ways as well so Tell us a little bit about how that translated beyond uh, your yaya. -ya? Is that what you called her? My yaya, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, growing the beans uh, was was decorative as well as edible gardening a part of of your life, or not? Maybe until later. Tell us how that translates into your life. Um, I don't think I would describe my grandmother's gardening as decorative. It was definitely um, all food focused. And she would grow mint and beans and corn and all these things. But I mean, you find beauty in all of these edible plants as well. Um, but I think aesthetic gardening didn't enter my life until much later on. And I think that's also equally important. But from my grandmother's perspective, I think about how she used gardening for survival, you know, mm -hmm surviving war and, yeah. um, you know, feeding her children. And even my Irish grandmother too, she had 10 children to feed. So she had to grow food and yes, she grew beautiful flowers as well, but it was mainly focused on 
survival security. and food yeah. security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I asked that question because I was thinking back to your description of uh, the beautiful roses in your Northern Ireland grandmother's house and wondering if, you know, that was something that your your mother had held on to. So you grow up in Colorado. You have several siblings. Where are you in that mix? I do. <laughs> I have uh, five siblings. I'm the third of six. Um, we all took very different paths. I'm the only one who is um, focused on an environmental field. Um, but I think that all of my siblings enrich my knowledge of the world mm. and help me to do the things that I do. Yeah. And so you 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 grow up with five siblings. You go off to school. How do you start moving towards landscape architecture and urban planning? Take us on that path. Oh, I definitely had a circuitous journey to get to <laughs> landscape architecture. But um, again, growing up and helping my grandmother in the garden, that was something that I always really enjoyed. I just didn't know that that was a profession to be out in the garden. So it took me quite a while to get there, but um, I actually started my undergraduate degree in architecture. Um, My dad had grand visions of me building him a summer home in Greece. (laughs) So he wanted me to study architecture. I did that for uh, about a year and a half until the stress was too much. And so I decided to focus on foreign languages um, and did French and Italian. And then after college, I went into acting um, and moved to Los Angeles and pursued acting and writing. I'm definitely a creative type, so I enjoy the arts and lived there for several years um, until I decided that that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do for my profession. Yeah. Um, and so I did a lot of soul searching and got down to, um, you know, its elemental parts. What do I love to do? I love helping people. I love food. I love plants. I love design. And all of that sort of came together into landscape architecture, which I literally discovered through Google searches. (laughs) What do all of these things come together to be and found landscape architecture. And I am very passionate about teaching people what landscape architecture is because it has been so impactful in my life. And, you know, I, I really think that landscape architecture is what makes our world, you know, the world around us is all designed by landscape architects and by architects. So I'd love to teach people what it is. And I definitely did not have, you know, the guidance to know what it was as a a young adult. So I'm passionate about teaching people. Um, But I found it and went to graduate school at CU Denver, had a wonderful experience in that graduate program. um, And then also tacked on urban planning to my degree and have, uh, recently finished. I finished in 2020 and then went right into working at an incredible firm, worked there for the past two years, um, but then recently just left to start my own nonprofit. And I think there were a couple of um, side journeys along the way. And I say this because I am familiar with your thesis uh, project and work. So Mm -hmm. you put all these things together, you go off to graduate school At what point in your landscape architectural studies do you begin to see the helping people part of your passion come into and be translated into what would become your thesis? And then maybe describe that for people. 
Well, I mean, I entered into the landscape architecture program knowing maybe 10% of what landscape architecture can do or what it can encompass. Mm -hmm. So um, I really had a lot of um, great opportunities to explore and figure out what it means. And um, during my program, I actually decided I wanted to um, do a study abroad program in France, which was wonderful. I went with um, a professor named Emmanuel Didier. He's fantastic. He had a background in uh, fine arts. So got to see all the magnificent gardens of France and Mm. see all their (laughs) magnificent qualities in a beautiful new light as a landscape architect. And um, after that experience in France, I decided I wanted to go to Greece, not only to visit relatives, but to uh, volunteer in a refugee camp because I had been watching the news on the Syrian refugee crisis. This was back in 2017. And I was incredibly disturbed by what I was seeing. And there was, you know, the huge flow of people going through um, Turkey into Greece on those little rubber dinghies across the Mediterranean and hundreds, if not thousands of people have died just crossing the Mediterranean. So I was really, um, you know, fired up about all of that and said, you know, I need to do something to help. And because my father also grew up in war, again, like I said before, my dad was born in 1940. So he experienced not only World War II, but then after that, the Greek Civil War. So the first 10 years of his life was entirely uprooted. And he was also internally displaced within Greece. So I thought, you know, if all of these Syrian refugees are flooding into Greece, I need to do something to help. And being Greek, I can go there and, you know, I speak the language and I can help out in some way. So I found a wonderful um, NGO called Lighthouse Relief. And they are Um, a wonderful Swedish organization. They are stationed on the island of Lesbos. And so they're one of the first um, agencies that receive people who are crossing the Mediterranean. So they would then assist people in getting off of the island of Lesbos onto the mainland, and then from there applying for asylum. And I didn't end up going to the island of Lesbos because I don't know how to swim. So I don't think I'd be very good at helping people on the coast. But I did go to the mainland of Greece to a camp called Rizona uh, in the center of uh, the mainland. And the camp was entirely filled with Syrian refugees. I ended up working in their youth engagement space. So they have a lot of different volunteers who you know, work in different capacities, but they do have, you know, a youth engagement space because children aren't able to go to school in these camps. They basically just sit there all day with nothing to do if, you know, these organizations don't go in and help to provide, you know, some activities for them. So what we would do is, you know, crafts, play soccer, you know, lots of different activities with the children um, just to help them to um, relieve some stress. Mm-hmm. And that was by far a very rewarding experience. One of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Yeah. Wow. How, how old were you at that time? And how long were you there, Arati? Um, well, in 2017, I was 33. And um, I was there for just about three or four weeks. So not, not an extremely long time, but it was long enough that I was able to 
get to know a lot of wonderful people and meet incredible Syrian, resilient Syrian people. Yeah. And you then return to the U.S. and there is some seed planted in you through this. Take us on where you go from that work and uh, finishing up your uh, degree and your thesis. Absolutely. Well, I was definitely inspired by um, the experiences in Arizona. Um, one thing I forgot to mention was while I was there, I was um, actually able to plant a garden in the youth engagement space. They found out that I was a landscape architect in training. So they were very excited to hear that and said, we'd love for you to help us plant a garden. Um, and so we started collecting materials on site. Um, and this refugee camp was a defunct army camp, uh, army base. So there were a lot of, you know, scrapped pieces of material everywhere, concrete, car stops, rocks, pieces of concrete everywhere. And we actually just used those elements for the garden. We, I took a bunch of the children around the camp. We picked up pieces of concrete, painted them and used them as edging on a bed. Uh, we used some uh, limited funds to go buy plants and I started planting and I had pretty soon a line of children <laughs> 20 deep wanting to help with the garden. They were all so delighted and excited to see what we were doing. So um, it was definitely a collaborative experience. Mm -hmm. I had um, kids of all ages helping me. And then, you know, we had to fill up plastic water bottles across the camp and bring them to the youth engagement space to water the plants. But we had all sorts of things. We planted um, marigolds and some jasmine. We had people, even elderly people coming from across the camp to smell the jasmine. They were so delighted because it reminded them of Syria. And we planted herbs and succulents. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, so that really got me thinking about gardening with refugees. And when I came back and continued my landscape architecture degree, I focused from then on on how do you garden with refugees? How can you make gardens in refugee camps? And my program was very supportive. All my professors were very supportive of my pursuit of this. And pretty much all of my papers from then on focused on the refugee situation globally and how landscape architects can make a difference and impact in the global refugee crisis. Arati Athanasopoulos is a Denver, Colorado-based landscape architect and urban planner. After many seasons studying and working around the world in collaboration with the International Rescue Committee's New Roots program, she has recently founded her own nonprofit entity focused on gardens for and by refugee populations. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible by the California Native Plant Society on a mission to support California's native plants and places using both head and heart. In October of 2022, the CNPS is hosting their biennial Native Plant Conference, this year focused on the theme of rooting together, restoring connections to plants, place, and people. 
The CNPS team are inviting everyone to be a part of this conversation and the effort to celebrate, protect, and restore California's plants and everything and everyone connected to them. CNPS has a current call out for presentation applications. If how we restore connections for people, places, and plants is dear to your heart, and you would like to find more about presenting at the conference, please visit conference.cnps.org. That's http colon forward slash forward slash conference.cnps.org. Hey, it's Jennifer. As gardeners, heck, as humans living our life in or out of what we might see as the fray, it is hard to not see world events. The war on and invasion of Ukraine, ongoing conflict in Syria, ongoing turmoil in Afghanistan, climate change everywhere, and think to ourselves, what can I do? I am just one person, one gardener. And I have to say that this conversation this week with Arati hands us one little key to action and agency. I kind of love that, don't you? I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. Arati Athanasopoulos is a Denver-based landscape architect and urban planner whose career and studies have taken her to refugee communities around the world. In Denver, Arati partners with the International Rescue Committee's New Roots Program. Since 2008, the IRC's New Roots Program has allowed international refugees spaces to garden, to become food secure, and to root successfully in their new homes and communities. We're back now to our conversation with Arati. Going back a little bit, thinking on the experience in the Rizona refugee camp and thinking about the benefits that I saw, you know, building even just a small little garden in their youth engagement space, you know, I really thought, wow, gardens are so important to people's not only food security and survival, but to their mental health and well-being. And so I devised this plan to um, integrate gardens into refugee camps as a matter of policy and wrote a proposal for the Landscape Architecture Foundation's Graduate Olmsted Award. And I ended up winning um, a grant through the Landscape Architecture Foundation for my proposal. And I was planning to go back to Greece um, and implement this plan, which was to build a larger scale garden in the Rizona camp. And unfortunately with the pandemic in 2020, I was not able to travel back to Greece, but I decided that I would work with refugees here in Denver, focusing on the resettled refugee community and how gardens might help impact their lives once they've arrived. So one thing I'd like to talk about briefly is just the refugee experience. And I don't know if many of your listeners will know about the refugee experience, but when a person is pushed from their home, they're forcibly displaced. And when they cross an international border, they then become an asylum seeker and they will then get the legal determination of being a refugee once their case has been approved. 
And often they will stay in a country that is close to their country of origin, or they will be resettled to another nation like the United States, which is far from their country of origin. And then they have to basically start their life all over again. So it can be obviously very traumatic for people. So once people are resettled in another country, obviously it's very traumatic that they are forced from home, but it can be re-traumatizing for them to be in a new place and have to learn everything all over again. It's like if you dropped me in the middle of Afghanistan and said, here you go, figure it out. It would be unbelievably terrifying. And right now I'm working with, you know, many refugees from all over the world. And I see in their faces what they experience every day, the the terror of not knowing where to go, what to do, how things work here. And so there are a lot of wonderful um, organizations. And one I'd like to mention today is called the International Rescue Committee. And I've been working with them since 2018. And they're an international organization. They focus on you know, aiding refugees in foreign countries, but also on resettlement in the United States. And so I've been working with their Denver office and um, started with them as a transportation intern. And what that involved was actually meeting with refugees at their homes and then showing them how to use public transit to get to work, to get to school, to get to the IRC office, to meet with their caseworkers. And, you know, it can even just getting around can be very difficult for people who don't speak the language. Many of them are illiterate. Um, I met with one of my first uh, clients I met with when I was a transportation intern was from uh, Myanmar and older man did obviously didn't speak English. I didn't speak his language, but we got on the bus together and he was chatting away the whole time. I was chatting away the whole time. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. (laughs) And, you know, he was such a delight. Um, And I met him and so many other wonderful people as a transportation intern. And I just wanted to help more and more with the IRC's um, programs. And then I found out that they have a gardening program, (laughs) which is wonderful. And it's called New Roots. And it's a program that integrates psychosocial support into gardening. So they take people who have experienced Mm. any number of traumas. Many of them are survivors of torture. And they actually take these people into the garden and it provides them a therapeutic setting for them to one, speak about what they've endured and then also provides a number of other benefits to them. They are able to grow their own food, um, which provides them with food security. Then they have a sense of empowerment and control over their lives when they're able to grow their own food. Mm. And gardening has a number of other benefits for the refugee community in particular. Um, I'll just mention a couple, uh, belonging, you know, a sense of acceptance and connection when you're a refugee as well in a foreign country, you might not meet anybody else from your same country, or you might only meet a few. So gardening allows people to meet others, both from their homeland and from other countries and create new bonds. Um, It allows them an opportunity to um, build self-confidence and to become um, familiar with new activities and also to perform familiar activities that they might have uh, 
um, performed in their home countries. Many of these people come from agrarian backgrounds. So it's, it's nice for them to be able to do things that they know how to do and that they might not have had right, the opportunity right. to do in this new country. So that helps them to build their self-confidence as well, to show their skills. Yeah. And I would imagine as well, um, and I don't know if this is the case, uh, I was doing some reading about the the New Roots program and then the Survivors of Torture, the SOT gardens. You know, is there a pathway or flow of culturally appropriate plants and seeds for these different communities? Because I, I would imagine, I mean, I think about myself being in a foreign country, you know, and after you've been there for a while, you really long for your normal foods, your, you know, quote, no, your normal foods. And um, just the ability to grow something that they recognize as their own and eat it would be incredibly comforting and uh, stabilizing even, I think. Absolutely. Yes. In the New Roots program, we do try to find seeds for people, for plants that are familiar to them, because it is very, that's another aspect mm. of being the refugee that you go to a new place and the foods are all unfamiliar. Yeah. And actually a lot of refugees in yeah. the United States in particular experience a decline in health because of the foods that they're eating, because many of them are obviously low income and they can't afford, you know, a lot of fresh produce, they end up buying a lot of processed packaged foods that are really unhealthy for them. So we see increases in obesity. So one thing that we really try to do is acquire seeds for plants that are familiar to them from their native countries, and also expose them to yeah. things that are um, climate appropriate for here in Colorado, because obviously yeah. we have a harsh climate and not everything will grow here. And I remember we had a, a group of women from Congo and I had grown a ton of spaghetti squash and we had a, a, a group of these women out in the garden. We were gardening together. We collected a bunch of vegetables and brought them inside into this uh, community kitchen and ended up cooking together and had our, you know, support session with them over a meal, which I think is so important. Um, but we introduced them to spaghetti squash, which was something that they had never seen before. So it was really, yeah. really cool to see their excitement and enthusiasm for this new vegetable and to talk about how they might cook it. And we also spoke to them about, you know, what they are used to cooking and what is um, familiar to them. And one of the things that was really um, surprising to me was that they eat amaranth and that grows uh, extremely well in their home country, but it's something that we almost perceive as a weed here. You mm -hmm. know, exactly. Growing in our, in our front yards and <laughs> along the highway, we see amaranth everywhere and we don't know that that's actually an edible plant and, you know, people cultivate it in other countries. Yeah. yeah. For the greens and the grain, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so you are pivoting in Denver. You are you know, it, it, and just let me say that in his, you know, the 200th year of his birth, Olmsted would be very proud <laughs> that you received this award uh, in his name. You decide to kind of restructure your your next step. And 
take us to the point where you are working not only with the IRC, the International Rescue Committee, but also with Denver Urban Gardens. And I don't know if you are beginning to make a base for the New Roots program or if it was already there and you kind of resuscitated and strengthened the base for this IRC program in Denver with the Denver Urban Gardens, which is also known as Doug, uh, at an elementary school there. So you're kind of bringing together all of the things that you uh, you have been experiencing and learning from in this garden space that you take on. Right. Take us to the Ellis Elementary. Sure. So um, the IRC's New Roots program um, is in multiple cities across the United States. Um, it's just burgeoning in Denver. They're really trying to grow the program here. And um, over the last couple of years, interning with the IRC in different capacities, I started uh, helping with their New Roots program. And they were actually operating their New Roots program in a couple of different spaces across the city, um, working with different nonprofit organizations, one called Metro Caring, which is a, a food um, distribution center for low-income communities. And uh, they have garden spaces there, which we were using in years past. But as a graduate student, um, I focused my capstone um, report on helping the IRC to find a home base for their new roots program. So I did a lot of research and mapping to find the most appropriate location for this garden. That would be, yeah, the proprietary space for this uh, program. And it just so happened that the IRC was moving offices from where they were on the east side of uh, on the west side of Denver to a more central location. So we found that their new office was in very close proximity to a school called Ellis Elementary School, uh, which happens to be one of the most diverse elementary schools in the state and a really wonderful elementary nice. school K through fifth grade. And they have a lot of space. And so we asked them if we could work in there um, on the school grounds. They had a small community garden that was actually one of the 190 community gardens and school gardens that Denver Urban Gardens manages. Mm -hmm. They manage so many properties across Denver. Um, but this was a, a little bit overgrown and underutilized and hadn't really had much done to the garden in about 15 years. So we talked with Doug about using this space and revitalizing it for the New Roots program, but also for the school and for community members. So it became this real collaborative effort. And we've had a lot of enthusiasm from teachers and the school leadership about using this part of the school grounds um, for the garden. And it just is really serendipitous that it's now a five minute walk from the IRC's new office so that when IRC clients go to meet with their caseworkers, they can just take a short little walk over to Ellis Elementary and do some gardening. And it's also gonna be a great benefit to the staff of the IRC as well. They can have meetings out there and um, definitely conduct a lot of programming. And we've already over the last couple of years started using the space. So this is not something that, you know, I'm just starting today. This is something that has right. been in the works for the last couple of years, but um, we're just getting some additional funding and we're hoping to complete the garden this, this spring and have a big celebration in the summer. I 
Charity Athanasopoulos is a Denver-based landscape architect and urban planner whose work focuses on gardens for and by refugees in the new places they find themselves. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. Remember how last week with Lisa Wad and Aaron Bevel Preston Johnson, we talked about not only can we not do everything all by ourselves, but also how we might work to cultivate more invitation into our lives? Well, with the first quarter of 2022 coming to an end and the vernal equinox coming into view as we as gardeners and our gardens turn towards spring, I'd like to take this moment to thank everyone who is out there listening, sharing Cultivating Place episodes forward, donating, and just generally supporting Cultivating Place. Thank you. Just like any garden cannot grow without soil, water, sunshine, compost, and manure, these civil gardening conversations cannot happen without all of you taking a small part in all of these different roles. Because of you and your financial and moral support, I am able to speak to and engage with gardeners around the world, encouraging and empowering all of us as gardeners to embrace our gardening identities in their fullness, with love, with fun, with courage with mission. If you are a monthly or yearly donor to Cultivating Place, thank you. If you have been thinking about chipping in, thank you. I invite you to head over to cultivatingplace.com and follow the links through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page on the Cultivating Place website and make a donation. Large or small, monthly, recurring, or one-time, All donations help me bring Cultivating Place to all of you every week. Thank you in advance and keep growing, my friends. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're back to our conversation with Areti Athanasopoulos, a Denver-based landscape architect and planner whose career and studies focus on gardens by and for refugee populations. She partners with the International Rescue Committee's New Roots Program, which since 2008 has allowed international refugees spaces to garden, to become food secure, and to root successfully in their new homes and communities. As we come back, Arati shares more about her new nonprofit organization in Denver, Regeneration Now. And there is something really beautiful about the intercultural as well as the intergenerational interface that, you know, if you are um, a family with an elementary age student to see these communities coming into this community and school garden, it just brings together this ability to interact without it being too forced or without it being too formalized, that people can kind of engage with each other gently and adjacently rather than head on. For the students at the elementary to be able to witness, you know, other 
people gardening and these other people to witness children going to school, there's something really normalizing about that. And to have the garden be that center of normalization is just really beautiful to me. And the transformation of the space over time and your coming to completion has also led to a, a recent grant that you received um, so that you were able to form your own nonprofit that will help, again, stabilize this space and this work, but I am guessing it will, it will do more than that as well. Tell us about the grant and tell us about your new nonprofit, uh, start, starting with its name when you get to that. Sure. Um, I want to go back for a moment to what you said first about all of these different groups using the garden and how it is wonderful to see the relationships between these different groups really flourish yeah. um, in the garden. So it's not only going to be used by one entity, it's going to be used by multiple organizations and people and groups. And I'm delighted that the people who are now really enthusiastic about the garden at the school are building a relationship with the garden. And the IRC is building a relationship with the garden. And I think that's how we're going to ensure that it continues on. We engender this enthusiasm about gardening into all of these different groups, and then they carry it forward. Because I know I can't make sure that the garden is there forever. I really wanna hand it off to these groups and say, please <laughs> grow this and you know build this relationship and make it flourish. Yeah. Um, so I'm really delighted to see uh, all of these people um, investing in the space as much as I am at this point. Right. And one thing I'd like to add too is that I'm not doing this by myself. There are a lot of people who are really passionate. Um, Amy Whitehead is a wonderful teacher at Ellis Elementary and she's been a galvanizing force for us. And we've got Mireille Bacos who is the head of the New Roots program at IRC and um, Dylan O'Neill is my partner in starting this nonprofit, but I met him through IRC. So many, many people are doing this with me. And I think that's really important to say that, you know, I'm not a solitary person working on this, that um, I'm really honored to be working with many talented and passionate people. And I think any great garden requires the work and passion and love of a whole village of people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that brings me, I guess, to the grant that we just received. And I'll say we received it because I didn't receive it alone. Uh, we received from the Colorado Parks Foundation um, and Jeff Shoemaker in particular. He's a big name in Colorado. The Colorado nonprofit world um, runs the Greenway Foundation as well and uh, has been very passionate about growing gardens and parks in Colorado for years and revitalizing our urban spaces and our urban green spaces in particular. And uh, he heard all about Ellis Elementary and the garden and working with refugees in the IRC. And he was once upon a time part of uh, Denver City Council and that was in his district. And so obviously he was very passionate about helping. And again, that was very serendipitous too. Right. And so he said, you know, you should apply for this grant through the Colorado Parks Foundation. And we were very fortunate to get um, $25,000 from the Colorado Parks Foundation to invest in Ellis Elementary to really uh, finish our garden. 
And we're so delighted. We're um, going to finish building the infrastructure of the space. So finish putting in um, our garden boxes. Um, and also we're going to do some farm rows and we really would like to integrate some regenerative principles into the garden. So we're going to focus on hugel culture nice. and building a food forest in this space so that it's not only um, a very nourishing garden, but a therapeutic garden for people and plants and animals all together. Yeah. Nice. And so you uh, took this opportunity to start your your own nonprofit around this work. And I believe it is called Regeneration Now. Tell us about the, the mission of the nonprofit and the naming of it and, and how it interfaces now with these other groups and, and what your vision is for it going forward, RIT. Absolutely. So as a landscape architect, I did learn a, a bit about ecology, but it's still um, a learning process for me. So I'm learning a lot right now about uh, regenerative agriculture and permaculture and um, approaching growing food from a very holistic way. And because I'm so passionate about growing food and, and feeding people, I thought, you know what, I really want to focus on my own nonprofit. And my partner, Dylan O'Neill, is also equally as passionate. And both of us have worked with um, low-income and refugee communities in the past. And we decided that we wanted to focus on building refugee gardens, building gardens for refugee communities, and implementing regenerative principles in those spaces. So we started Regeneration Now. And the name came from regenerative, so regenerative principles, but now is sort of an imperative. We need to act now. And it also has another meaning. I think we're very quick these days to divide ourselves into different generations. Like I'm generation Z and you're a millennial and you're generation X. But I think we really just need to focus on how we're all living now. We're all generation now, and we all must act collectively together now to address the challenges that we face as a global community. So I'm definitely very eager to continue learning about regenerative principles and to you know, disseminate whatever information I can gather and teach other people in these garden spaces that we hope to build. Um, and regenerative agriculture, I think, is the way that we're going to tackle many of the challenges that we face globally um, with regard to food production and even with um, greenhouse gas emissions. It just, it checks so many um, boxes, which is a, a really kind of reductive way to to describe that. But it it works to address so many of the challenges that we are faced with right now in terms of human displacement, in terms of cultural separation and isolation, in terms of generational angst and again, separation and isolation and food security and communal values. I, um, yeah, I, it just, it's a beautiful suite of activities and mission to move forward in this really just beautifully productive and um, healing kind of integrated way. Tell us what, what is the next step for regeneration now? Well, we're finishing up Ellis Elementary this spring 
And yep. we're also working with Denver Urban Gardens on another space um, in Denver. It's actually uh, a vacant parcel that has never been used. It's actually uh, Denver Parkland, but has never had anything on it. And it's again in a very, uh, it's in a lower income community, but one we believe is very enthusiastic already about gardening. Um, there have been some neighbors who have been growing some vegetables on this parcel already. So we're enthusiastic that, you know, the community will support this effort to make it into a food forest. Um, and it's also adjacent to a, a Thai Buddhist temple. Nice. They have already got a beautiful garden growing in their um, yard. So we know that the community around it is passionate about gardening. So we're going to transform basically a lot that has nothing on it into a verdant, uh, productive food forest. And that's something that we'll work with Denver Urban Gardens and the city of Denver on in the coming year. As you uh, look, especially at this moment where we are seeing, you know, on the news every day, uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees flowing out of Ukraine into Poland and surrounding countries, uh, which is just the most recent and most visible refugee situation right now. The, the Syrian refugee situation, the Afghani, you know, I mean, there are multiple uh, issues, the refugees coming up from Central and South America into North America. As you think about these things and you think about the work that you are doing right there in that space, is there anything you would like to add about how you have seen this work transform either the situation for a refugee or the situation for a community embracing and welcoming refugees to their space uh, in, this, in this time? We do live in very challenging times, for sure. Mm. And I definitely get discouraged and sometimes feel hopeless about the state of the world. But I, when I feel like that, I remind myself that gardens are a wonderful symbol of hope. And in fact, one of my favorite quotes um, is from Audrey Hepburn, and it's, to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. So I really try to remind myself of that quote. Um, she also lived through World War II, and we're seeing now this disaster unfolding in Ukraine with over 500,000 people fleeing the country in three days. Yeah. And Filippo Grandi, who's the head of the UN um, High Council for Refugees, he has said that there are anticipated 5 million refugees fleeing mm -hmm. in the next few weeks and months. Mm -hmm. So if we you know, think about these figures, we really need to start acting. And this is not just a singular isolated incident. These, there are conflicts unfolding across the globe and also climate crises unfolding across the globe. And you know, if we get into figures, it can be quite daunting. Um, there are certain figures that say that there could be up to 1 billion refugees by 2050. And nobody is immune to these mm -hmm. conflicts. Nope. You know, I think it's pretty understandable that the, the climate crisis is gonna force people to, to move. Um, and we never know what might unfold in certain countries. 
So we need to be prepared. And I think gardening is a wonderful way for us to prepare. And like I said at the beginning, I think about my nephews and my niece every day when I get up. I don't have children of my own yet, but I think about their future. And I really want them to have a secure and happy and stable future. And I think if the pandemic also showed us anything, it's that we need to think about how vulnerable we are. And, you know, I only had to go into the grocery store once and see the shelves empty to know, hey, this is something that we need to be thinking about. You know, how are our food systems operating? How vulnerable are we to disruptions? And how, what are we going to do to prepare ourselves? So we need to start growing food at home. Start thinking about, you know, our own victory gardens like they did in the 1940s, growing food in our own spaces and converting our lawns into productive um, gardens. So I think about all of these things and I think about, you know, the global refugee crisis and how I might impact in some small way and improve the situation in some small way. So ultimately with this nonprofit, I would like to take gardens, um, take what I've learned about regenerative agriculture and bring it to refugee camps around the world, not just at home, but abroad. Um, so ultimately that is the, the goal. Yeah. Well, and I love your vision that as just a, a, a routine part of policy, any refugee camp that is in place for any length of time must include garden space. I think mm -hmm. uh, that's a, a beautiful policy vision. And I just thank you for your work. And I really thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for being, being with me. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Arati Athanasopoulos is a Denver-based landscape architect and urban planner. After many seasons studying and working around the world and in collaboration with the International Rescue Committee's New Roots program, and while in Denver with Denver Urban Gardens, she has founded Regeneration Now, her own nonprofit entity focused on gardens for and by refugee populations. Join us again next week when we're in conversation once again with Emily Murphy, author of Grow What You Love. Emily's new book deepens her Grow What You Love philosophy into the importance of regenerative growing. She'll be with us to share more about her thoughts on Grow Now, how we can save our health, communities, and planet one garden at a time. Join us next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you and by partner support from the California Native Plant Society. For more information on RIT's new nonprofit, Regeneration Now, more on her work at Ellis Elementary, and more on the International Rescue Committee and the Denver Urban Gardens work, head over to cultivatingplace.com and look for this week's show notes under the podcast tab. That's all at cultivatingplace.com. 
The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with Tech and Web Support Weekly from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.